Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Part two of the Same Place Opponent Preview of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience. Instead of shopping all over the internet looking for the best deals, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the entire internet for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, show, and even rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. Green dot means the great deals, yellow dots, good deals, red dots, not so good. Use promo code ACAA as in Armchair All-Americans at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code Use promo code ACAA, as in Armchair All-Americans, at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. So what are you waiting for? SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And the part two of the Same Place Opponents is also brought to you by MyBookie. Between their in-game live betting, endless props, and fantasy sports wagers, there's something for everybody to get in on at MyBookie. With the best player perks in the sportsbook business, they have been good to us, and we know they'll be good to you. Use the promo code BEARS100 when creating your account, and you'll get a 50% sign-up bonus. Just visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code BEARS100. Laying down $100, now you've got $150. That's mybookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G, promo code BEARS100. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And after kicking things off the other day with Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints, giving us part one of the opponent preview. Today we bring in Brad Motter from the Locked on Rams podcast. And trust me, even though our next guest is also going to be from the Locked on Network, they're not all going to be from the Locked on Network, I promise you. So, um, But nonetheless, uh, Brad, we're bringing him back. We spoke to him last year, had a great time. We called him Brad Mater the Trader because he is a Chicago guy that is rooting for the Rams and uh, – we discussed that in depth on the last episode. We kind of let him go this time just because he's, you know, when somebody's infected, wh- what can you do? You know, you take them out back, you put one behind the ear, and you, you know, you let nature take its course. But what are you going to do? So we got Brad back. He comes in. He's going to talk to us. And uh, we're going to get right to the interview this today. We're not going to waste any time with it. I would, however, like for you guys to stick around. I'm going to take a stab at off the subject. Okay, I got one little news and note thing I'm going to share with you guys, and then I'm going to take a stab at the off the subject. You're going to want to hear this. The top five TV shows of all time. uh, I forget who gave me that idea, but I went ahead and I did it. And you're going to want to hear it because I think that that all of you are going to be floored by what number five of all time on Larry D's top TV show list is so be sure and stick around for that but right now brad motter from locked on rams helping us preview the 2019 la rams
The second half of our same place opponent preview has us visiting the Los Angeles Rams. And this year, the Bears will head out to L.A. in a Sunday night football rematch week number 11 to face the L.A. Rams. And, uh, you know, here to help me talk about the the Rams and, and, and the way things finished up in 2018, the way the offseason has gone and what they're looking forward to in 2019. Uh, let me get his name right this time because I made a, a joke out of his name last year because he told me he was a Chicago guy that now roots for the Rams, so I called him Brad Mater the Trader, and it's actually <laughs> Brad Motter is his name. That is the way it's pronounced. He didn't correct me. God bless him. Brad, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, man. You got a rhyming nickname with the second – name that i hear all the time in my life so <laughs> i actually my nickname uh was mater almost through half of high school and oh, into college because my buddy kept calling me that so it felt right and you nicknamed it man and I, it made me laugh i couldn't correct you so uh it is modern but brad mater the traitor uh i think my brother appreciates that one being a bears fan nice nice so so yeah man it's uh it's good to have you back um i've, I've been looking forward to doing these these shows and uh, the, the first two especially because for the first time in a long time my beloved Chicago Bears finished in first place so I don't have to start these opponent previews talking to the other fourth place finishers in the NFC uh, instead I get to talk to two teams that basically determine the fate of the NFC last year first we, we we've already spoken with the Saints and and how their season turned out and their thoughts and feelings about the NFC championship game so why don't we just go ahead and start there? We'll talk about the Sunday night game in a minute, but let's just go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room, the NFC Championship game. How were you feeling in the moment? How did you feel after it? How do you feel six months removed from it? Oh, man. I mean, just even hearing the question, it's like it's like you hear that just that. Oh, like, yeah. And I can't imagine what it would sound like him versus me. Almost if you think like how ESPN shows a highlight and they'll have like the Alabama play call and then, you know, they'll give the reaction of the play call from the other side. I can't imagine us being so different in how we saw everything that went down in that game. But uh, it was an awesome game. Just, I mean, yeah. right out the gate. I, I, it sucks that it was, you know, kind of marred by the ending of that game. But the the whole game uh, leading up to it, and even the ma the previous matchup uh, earlier in the season with the Saints was just amazing. These when these guys get together and and we're excited uh, to see him again in week two and kind of get that out of the way early this yeah. season. But uh, it was it was awesome game. And and to come down to that play, which obviously we know we're talking about here. Uh, I've talked about it so much to this point. I I'm by far over it because, <laughs> you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not the fans job. It's not the Rams job. This isn't like a high school pickup game outside, you know, the gym where, you know, offense calls fouls and, and defense calls violations and things right. like that. It's not, it's not the case. So it wasn't called. Should it have been? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Should have drew Brees, you know, should they have run the ball a couple times to keep the clock moving? Should they have stopped us on defense? Let's say they score a touchdown there. And we do have a little bit more time, maybe a minute and something. And now Jared Goff, instead of just having to get in field goal range, they start doing things differently, comes down and scores a touchdown. I mean, they're, they're, you can look at it so many different ways. And when you start to play the what-if game, especially in the NFL, uh, no one has fun with that, especially when you're on the losing side. Sorry, Saints fans. But um, it, it happened. And then as I look at it, you know, it went into overtime. Yes, it could have all changed right there, but it didn't, right? And then Drew right. Brees got the ball. You thought – you know, the coin flip gods were going to say, hey, not today, not, you know, we're not going out like this. We're going to give Drew Brees the ball. And he goes out and throws an interception. 
Yeah. Uh, we get the ball back. They had another opportunity to stop us. We kick a game-winning field goal. This thing is over. So they had multiple chances, even earlier in the game, when uh, you know everyone thought the Rams were out of it, even before kind of climbing back into the game. Multiple opportunities. I liked hearing some of their players kind of you know say, "Hey, this is more than just one play." Obviously. Uh, you know, it got picked up big time and I don't blame them. And now it's kind of funny. You see all the memes that go around and uh, even in the Kentucky Derby, when, when that whole thing happened and they eliminated one of the horses for bumping into someone, it came back into the the circuit of all the stuff. So I love Nikel Roby Coleman. Uh, I love the aggressiveness on that play. His, his basically his mindset was, uh, it was, it was a mistake. Someone didn't pick him up out of the backfield. And, and so he went out there, it wasn't his man. And he was like, I'm going to get there, tried to beat the ball. Uh, and he did by hitting the man. So no call, no foul. It was amazing in our eyes to see, obviously, you know, um, Zerline hit that, what, 55-yarder, 56-yarder, yeah. whatever it was from distance. And this is just days removed, you know, weeks removed from your own late field goal Ugh. double doink that I'm sure you've talked about many of times. And I'm sitting here, and I'll never forget because I'm sitting here, and I'm in my room. It's just me and my girlfriend watching the game, and I'm, like, glued to this TV. I'm already freaking out. The penalty call, everything. Got to hit this long field goal. And as the ball snapped and he goes to make the kick, she yells out, doink! And I'm like, are oh. you serious right now? You're going to hit me with a doink and the biggest kick I've ever seen right now? Like, And she's laughing. We make the kick. And she's like, you made the kick anyway. Uh, she had a great time with it. I was freaking out, sweating. And next thing you know, uh, you know, we're jumping around. We're going to the Super Bowl. And that's where you want to end the story because right. it didn't get much prettier for the Rams after that. Uh, you know, kind of a flop in the Super Bowl. But, man, that game with the Saints, I mean, it's the one outside of the Bears game, which I think is – uh, you know, going to be exciting. We'll talk about it a little bit later here on the podcast. But mm -hmm. I mean, week two, when they come into town out into L.A. with all the offseason drama of that call, the Super Bowl, uh, having to sit and watch us in the Super Bowl. I can't imagine how much they want to come out and beat us. But at the same time, Rams fans, uh, you know, the organization, I can't imagine how bad they want to beat the Saints, you know, quote unquote, you know, fair, you know, yeah. to go out there and just whoop their butt, even though if it's in the regular season or not. I mean, both those teams are going to be so juiced up and even talking about it, I get juiced up right, right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I had, uh, of you know, the feeling was, you know, obviously I, I'm basically in agreement uh, with you. I mean, honestly, I was I thought it would be interesting to see the Saints uh, in, in the in the Super Bowl against the um Against the Patriots, even though I was not looking forward to two weeks of being overloaded with Breeze versus Brady, <laughs> right? Um, but it, it just—I I thought that was the the, the better matchup, and, and maybe in in hindsight, I turned out to be right about that. But you know, it, it just the guy, like you said, the, it was a somebody was a busted assignment. The guy went over there to save the touchdown because if he doesn't get there in time, he probably catches the ball, walks right into the end zone and the game may actually be over uh at that point you know because it was getting towards the end of the game it was after the two minute warning or right before if i'm not mistaken and you know he didn't make any apologies for what he did he was making he made the right call he had to stop the touchdown so if he knew that he was going to be causing a penalty or or what have you it's on the referees to make the call they didn't make the call so stop your bitching it's not his fault he made the play that he was supposed to make. I'm sure that every coach, every defensive coach on the sideline agreed with what he did. You know, he went in there, he made the play, he made the play that he had to make uh, in that desperate situation to save the touchdown and let us fight another day, essentially. And 
they were able to uh, to take advantage of the situation. And like you said, they got the ball first in overtime. They're at home. The crowd is at a fever pitch, and Brees throws an interception. The next thing you know, it's the Rams that are going to the Super Bowl instead of the Saints. So, I mean, I can't really argue with the way it happened. Did the Saints get the uh, get a raw deal on that call? Absolutely. Did they get a, a raw deal in the game? I don't think so. So it's yeah, uh, and, it, it and played out I the way it was just watched, to. Yeah, and I just watched the Peyton Manning detail on Jared Goff in that game. And if you guys haven't seen it, I mean, I love the, those detail segments, especially with Peyton Manning. I know they do the Kobe one for the NBA, but uh, he breaks down that game. And he and Jared Goff played just an outstanding game, even before he got going. Uh, to handle that crowd. I mean, just the the fever pitch of that area. I mean, fans that go to that game, that go to that stadium every day, were saying it's the loudest we've ever heard it. And for him to kind of, you know, third year in the league, first time in an NFC championship game, uh, some of the throws near the end that he was making, I, there was one where I think he, he was almost getting sacked and he throws it like sidearm as he's falling down to Tyler Higby and they pick up a first down. He had so many clutch moments where it kind of started as, as a fan base, you really started to realize that this guy can play in those games. Like, yes, there there's the end of the game that, you know, may not have gone our way the next time they played, but for him to kind of be as calm as he was in that hostile environment and still be able to deliver some of the throws that he did was really encouraging for us. And I think really kind of why we went into the Super Bowl so high, kind of going, man, this guy is really taking big steps. The next step, obviously, Super Bowl. We didn't get what we wanted there. But uh, going late into the third quarter, this thing was, you know, that thing was a 3-3 ball game or it was super close, shall yeah. I say, going into the fourth quarter. And um, you know, there's a couple plays and a couple throws. I think Jared Goff would like back the one where, you know, he had basically Robert Woods uh, sit or sorry. Uh, it was who was that sitting wide open in the end zone that he threw it and, and it was broken up. Um, and, and but yeah, it was encouraging as a Rams fan and as someone that covers the Rams to look at this and go like, man, this guy can do it, especially in his third year to see how fast he went from. I mean, there it was labeled a bust after year one, the first seven games, and he just looked uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, here he is going to the Super Bowl and seems a lot more comfortable on that journey there. So encouraging at none the least. Right. So, you know, let, let's talk about the basically the last quarter uh, of the season. And the last time that we talked, we were previewing Sunday night matchup. It was a game that was flexed to Sunday night. So the whole country was going to be watching. Here's the marquee with with two of the best in the NFC, and the real question was, would the Bears be able to answer the call? You know, it's it's a December game. We're at home. It's in our in our elements, if you will. We got the best team in the NFC coming into town. Will the defense be able to contain an offense that just a couple of weeks ago scored 54 points uh, on, on, on Monday Night Football? And I got to be honest with you, man. Obviously, I was thrilled with the result. Yeah. But that was not the game that I saw happening on Sunday Night Football. Oh, yeah, me neither. And, you know, you talk about just the you know few weeks before that, 54-51 versus Kansas City Chiefs, a game that I actually watched in Mexico because I thought the game was going to be in Mexico. Right. And uh, <laughs> I was down there, and uh, it ended up being about, uh, you know, two miles from my house. So, you know, I don't want to bring up some old stuff, but I'm still upset about that. Right. Uh, thanks a lot. I think it was a Shakira concert that ruined the floors. It what, was. The, what they're all yeah. blaming. So, uh, <laughs> but no, when you come into that game, you, you know, we come off, you know, week 12 was a bye week. Uh, you know, we were coming off that 10 and one, uh, we go in and play Detroit and we were ugly versus Detroit. And that was kind of the preliminary, 
um, you know, if you could look at it now going, uh, those were a few signals there that it took us a while to get going versus Detroit. And they seem to have a game plan that almost kind of transitioned over the next few weeks as we saw the Bears and Philadelphia. And and we're just able to get under Jared Goff's skin and make him uncomfortable. Then, obviously, we go into that matchup you talked about, which week 14. Rams come in 11-2, and two, you know, high confidence. Or, sorry, 11-1 and one with a lot of confidence. And they just couldn't get it going. It was almost that game and the Super Bowl look a lot alike. Very yeah. uncomfortable Jared Goff. Uh, Todd Gurley, a non-factor. I think he had, I just pulled up the, the game here now, 28 yards. Um, Jared Goff, 180 in, in the air. And, and their defense did as much as they could to hold us in, which yeah. surprising. Our defense at times, like we said two weeks before, gave up 50 points. So they were never the strong, the point that we had to lean on. We were almost walking into arena wherever we're at and going, okay, Goff's going to put up, you know, 28, 30 points and defense just got to hold under that. Uh, And it was kind of flipped the script that game. But you know what? The Bears hung in and made the plays. Trubisky looked, you know, good enough that game and really kind of looked like the better quarterback for sure. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. And obviously we carried that over next week as we played Philadelphia. They came out into our uh, stadium and, and laid it to us 30 to 23. And it was all of a sudden it was crisis in LA. Uh Oh, what's going on? We, we were so hot for so long. Thankfully we finished with Arizona and San Francisco, right. Uh, to just cruise into the playoffs. Uh, another big part of that was, you know, we're not sure how healthy Todd Gurley was. And even in those last couple of games, he started to get banged up. And then finally, after that Philly game, they just basically pulled him. We we put in C.J. Anderson. That offense kind of changed, and, and we move into the playoffs with a lot more uh, steam and kind of energy going up that way. So uh, that was a scary moment in the season, though, because it looked like things were starting to crumble. Everything that we had built up to that point uh, was starting to look very vulnerable. Obviously, Cleo Mack is just an impressive player and scary at all points. But you could just see Jared Goff was like, where is this guy and how do I get away from him as fast as possible? Let me throw it in the dirt. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a tough game. I'm glad that we get it out here in L.A. this year. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we'll see a little bit different, a little bit more relaxed uh, Jared Goff now that he's seen the Bears have a better understanding of maybe what they're going to do. But, man, that matchup last year, uh, at one point was kind of going, you know, what's our playoff picture going to look like? Are we going to be, you know, like the year before getting a home game? And, you know, we lost the Atlanta Falcons this year. We had the Dallas Cowboys. Just those games leading up to that had us all really nervous uh, in that game. And thankfully we made it out and made it all the way to the Super Bowl. But uh, I was needless to say, I was really scared to see Chicago win in the playoffs and in some way have to see that team again because we did not match up well last year with them. Yeah, and, you know, that was the, the, the mindset that I had going into the game. There were two things, like, if if you had to play the Saints or the Rams, who would you prefer to play as the Bears? And, and I said all along it's got to be the Rams because with our defense I think we can slow them down, and with their defense I think we can outscore them. You know, this was, you know, they just gave up 51 points to the – you know, and they won a game somehow by giving up 51 points. So if yeah. we can slow down their offense. I think we got a good shot at beating them. I didn't see it being a defensive struggle with 21 points combined between the two teams. Same. Yeah, and the, the other thing that I think you and I both agreed on when we did talk was my thought was that when you get two high-level teams like this that are as talented as can be, they cancel each other out in certain ways that it's going to come down in the end to whoever makes the fewest mistakes. And granted, 
Mitch Trubisky threw three interceptions in that football mm. game. Jared Goff threw four and got sacked for safety. So it's just like I ended up being right. It's like the team that made the fewest mistakes, even though we made our fair share, we were able to cause more with the Rams, and that ended up being the difference uh, in the game. It's like overall it was a lot of fun to watch. It was a high competition. The def- Your defense showed up in a way I didn't know they were capable of after giving up 51 points and even 20-plus to the Lions the week before. And, yeah. you know, it ended up being like a dogfight between those two teams right down to the end with the Bears uh, being able to uh, to pull it out. I mean, it was it was my favorite game of the year for for many, many reasons. But to see the Bears step up in a high level situation like that and come out ahead was really, really encouraging as we entered the last quarter of the season. Yeah, it's funny. You look at it that way. You know, the, the Rams, that game almost you know, followed by the Philly game kind of put us into a a mini panic mode of what, what are we going to be? You know, we got all this way and vice versa for you guys to kind of put you in internally is, Hey, we can win the big game in the primetime slot. And, you know, going back to the Rams, which is, you know, kind of nerve wracking about this upcoming year is they played in a lot of close games. They, they, they blew out a lot of teams, obviously, earlier in the season. Arizona and Oakland uh, got rid of them pretty quick. Even, you know, 35-23 versus the, the Chargers in week three. But um, almost eight of the next ten games were one-possession games that were really close. The Minnesota game was crazy close for us. Uh, both Seattle games we won on a fourth down play. Uh, one was a Jared Goff sneak. One was a Russell Wilson um, incompletion. The Denver game at Denver was 23-20. We won that near the end. Uh, and then Green Bay, they yeah, fumbled on the kick say, return. Yeah. Uh, that, super uh, close game. Yeah, that so, gift from Ty Montgomery yeah, that you got there. Yeah, that, yeah and then gifted him another team right after that as well. Yes, but, they sure did. Uh, <laughs> so that's, what, that's what's nerve-wracking about this team was, you know, they, they'd gone through – the ebbs and flows of the season. So you, you had some confidence they could bounce back and play well in close games. Uh, but now, you know, as you look forward to next year is going, Hey, you know, you always think about things like injuries. You know, we had another pretty solid year as far as injuries, injuries go on our offensive line was great. You know, we missed Cooper cup with an injury and Todd Gurley got banged up. We still don't know. You can't even really call it an injury because there's no one will really speak of what it is. It's just yeah, Todd's knee isn't feeling so good. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're pretty healthy in that sort. So as you look, you know, coming this year, you're like, Hey man, can we win close ball games? Can we stay healthy? Can the ball bounce our way? And all those things kind of have to go right. And that's what makes the NFL so interesting is from year to year. I mean, look at us now talking about, uh, the Browns and how they're going to compete for their division and things like that. So how fast we can turn. I mean, the Rams before McVay got there were a four win team and now all of a sudden they're expected to win the NFC West. They're expected to be contenders in the NFC. And it's crazy how things fa- how things change so fast in the NFL. Well, I mean, look at us. We were a five-win team before Matt Nagy comes in. We win 12 games the first season. You know what? It is insane, quite frankly. And I've talked about this a couple of times on, on the podcast. It is insane, the parallels between the Bears and the Rams. So we talked about all the parallels that were last year, how we were hoping the 2018 Bears could be the 2017 a repeat of the 2017 Rams, and that's essentially right. what we got. But here's the funny part, okay? The Bears, they won their division, same as the Rams did in year one under McVay, but got a wild card spot, lost a home game, a home playoff game to the defending yeah. NFC champion. Oh, crazy. 
You know, now granted, we were, they were also the Super Bowl champion for us, but nonetheless, we lost a home game to the defending NFC champion, and our efforts, having given up our first and second round pick, also gave us the 87th pick in the draft as our first choice in the following draft. <laughs> That's crazy. I was like, this is bananas how this keeps happening like this. So does this mean we're going to make it all the way to the Super Bowl? I mean, I hope that's true. That would be awesome if the parallels just kept rolling along. Obviously, I hope we figure out a way to win. But, (laughs) you know, if if we keep, you know, following the path of the of the Rams, I'm hoping it leads to where it led you guys uh, last year. But it's like it is crazy how the pattern has repeated itself, how the bear we wanted the Bears to be you know, the McVeigh Rams, and we've basically been following you guys move for move a year behind so far. Yeah, and, and you're right. Do everything, uh, copy that piece of paper all the way up to the Super Bowl, and you guys should be fine. But that is, that's that's kind of those steps, and it's crazy. I, I know from living out in Chicago as well is, is that media, those fans, those expectations turn real quick. Yeah. You know, you yeah. start to – Look back at the days of when you were really good and and how that those expectations come back so fast. So uh, there will be expectations to you know win the division again and to make it to the playoffs and then you know obviously get break through that barrier of winning a playoff game. And if you do that, you know especially on how the Bears line up and how this thing could play out, uh, you know if you get a buy, you get a win. Next thing you know, you know you're you're one victory away from the Super. It's crazy with the NFL playoffs how fast it can ex- escalate, yeah. and all of a sudden you're in the Super Bowl. It's just a couple wins if you put yourself in the position right, uh, and that's what makes you know our matchup you know this coming year even more interesting. Is Week 11? It's it, it you expect you know uh, now that those are going to be two really really good teams again, and not only is it just an exciting regular season game, but could potentially work into some seeding as far as playoffs go. Yeah, and and that's what's the most exciting part about it. And, and like you said a minute ago, you went from a four-win team, you know, you were you were happy to be in the playoffs in year one under McVay. Very much the same thing in Chicago. We went from being a five, six-win team in 2017, you know, and we're lucky to get those wins. It was only five wins. We're, you know, happy to have five wins with the way the team played the year before here comes this new coach the team responds to him like I don't think anyone could have counted on and they play together and they win 12 games they make it to the playoffs and we're happy to be here and now it's 2019 and we're expected to go back it's it's an expectation now it's not a desire or wouldn't it be great if it's going to be the season will be a failure if we don't yeah, the the good thing in, in kind of speaking from watching this Rams team deal with this the, this last year, kind of coming off that 11 win season, make it to the playoffs, and and how fast the expectations changed with McVay and what he built in that culture in such a short period of time. I was actually um, ju- just watching something on the Bengals, who just took one of our coaches and and now are running away, and and kind of talking about how the culture changed in the last four months. Is completely different. And Andy Dalton's talking about how excited he is to be a part of this new, you know, exciting offense and and what a culture change really can do and how fast players can buy in and how important that is uh, and really how they can take that momentum and move forward. It's no longer we've got players around us and you look at, oh, man, we, we had eight wins last year, 10 wins last year, whatever it is. It's now it's it's how you prepare 
uh, in the off season. It's how you come to work every day, you know, in during uh, training camp and all that, that kind of builds up into this expectation for what the team is. And you can tell with a coach and, and organization and people that he puts around, I think Nagy's really got it going on out there in Chicago, uh, same as McVay out here, that they know a way to communicate with their players and be able to – it's like that that old school players coach, you know, that they get the respect. I'd rather – you know, I'd rather tell him he's mad at me than disappointed. And, and we actually just had one of those moments here uh, where Dante Fowler – missed his plane to come into OTAs and McVeigh's like, ah, I'm not mad at you. I was a little disappointed. And all of us were like, Oh, he said disappointed. Oh, that's gotta be <laughs> like, that's that, you know, he did that purposely. You know, he's, yeah. he kind of said like, I'm cool with it. He talked to me, but I'm, a, I was a little disappointed, you know? And it was like, Oh man, like, and that's the kind of culture and, and from talking to some of the people in the organization, uh, at, with the Rams and they were talking about how Fowler has really accepted his role on the team. And that was one of the reasons why they wanted to kind of give him that one year deal, almost a franchise tag uh, without technically franchise tagging him. And, you know, that he's really bought into this system and a guy that joined us week 10 or whatever it was last year and now getting the opportunity to, to get a whole offseason and, and kind of contribute that there's something special with these organizations and, and how the coaches have really built it and their expectations. But I think it's not only the fans, it's, it's really the people inside that building that, you know, eight wins isn't good enough anymore that they want to play meaningful football late in the season. And they've got the talent, they got the coaches. And like you said, these two programs kind of mirror each other pretty well, uh, which really makes for awesome football for us to cover. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and like I said, and I hope this is something that we can count on uh, year in and year out is that, that, that our teams are, are part of the discussion when it comes to the road to the Super Bowl that goes through the NFC. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fun this year to, to, to watch it. I can't wait to see these teams. Like, we, we started OTAs last week, and, you know, Nagy up to his old tricks again. He turned the first, first day of OTAs into field day. He broke the team up into teams, and they ran, like, relay races, and they, you know, were playing all <laughs> kinds of different games. Like, they didn't lift weights. They didn't run sprints. They didn't do anything like that. They had fun. They had a bonding uh, exercise, essentially, for the first yeah. day of OTAs uh, and everything. And it's all anybody could talk about uh, afterwards. Like, this is the kind of stuff that Nagy does. Like, haha, Clinton Dix, who was a rival of ours in Green Bay, signed a one-year prove-it deal for nothing to come to Chicago because of the culture that he's heard about, you know, with the Bears and, and, and all that kind of stuff. He's like, I, you know, $3 million as opposed to Adrian Amos, who's got his job. In, in Green Bay now who's got nine or ten million dollars a season. He's like, I'm you know, I'm willing to take less for a for a chance to, you know, be a part of this and, you know, maybe be a part of it longer, uh, and kind of thing. And all of a sudden it, it went from being like the Siberia of the NFC to being a, a destination. This is where teams want to play, just like the Rams. Uh, under Fisher, nobody wants to go there. You go there when you need a job and they're willing to give it to right. you. Now, you know, you're 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 happy that the Rams would even give you a look and, you know, happy to sign a one-year deal just to be part of it, kind of like the Patriots on the AFC side. Yeah, it's kind of fun watching these guys. I mean, you, you talked about haha Clinton Dix and joining there on a one-year deal and just looking at, you know, getting Clay Matthews and Eric Weddle on, you know, for pennies on a dollar, basically. And Weddle was basically said he was thinking about retirement. He was like, I, I'm ready to walk away. And then I saw what Sean McVay was doing and really – it almost sounds like he signed a contract just so he could hang out with McVay every day. Like he's had nothing but awesome things to say about, you know, the football type of mind that he is. And and it is crazy how that can really it takes you from that 
you know, eight to 10 win team that we keep referencing to over the top. When you start getting players that are going to take less money, uh, that are going to come out there and do the one year prove it deals because they, they want to have an opportunity to play for that coach or play in this system or play in an environment like that. So it, it is fun to watch. It's fun to be a part of because there are those days, like you mentioned, and that, you know, the Chicago Bears, you'd rather go and see if you could sneak on with the Packers or someone else in that division. Even Minnesota was scooping up talent for a long time. Yeah. And now here we are, Los Angeles, Chicago, swarming up some talent, becoming a place to play. I mean, Kansas City's one of those places, except for now there's so much noise coming out of there that I think <laughs> they don't want to go there yeah. uh, with, with all the trouble that is coming out of there. But um, you know, you see some young talent, some young coaches. It's really refreshing for the NFL who's got, you know, no knock on Bill Belichick because he knows exactly what he's doing in Sean Payton. But there's kind of this fresh feel of the NFL. And there's a lot of players that would prefer uh, to go and be a part of those coaches than kind of the old school coach. So um, unlike the NBA where there's, you know, five megastars and everyone's trying to fight for where they're going to be at, the NFL has a lot of talent that can spread out. Uh, and just when you think one team has created a super team, all of a sudden, you know, you see a couple shifts in it and it gets exciting again. So uh, I'm excited for both these teams and really high expectations for both these teams, yeah. which is scary. Yeah. I mean, you talked about it. You hope that we can do this for a long period of time as we start talking all these wonderful things and all this great <laughs> karma. But it could happen like that where, you know, you lose your quarterback or you lose uh, you know, your star defensive player. And all of a sudden you are kind of scrapping some pieces together. So uh, you hope that it, it sounds, uh, it looks as good as it sounds, but right now the way that it is, you know, angling up is that these two teams should be, uh, you know, in a good spot for 2019. Yeah. And, and it's going to be really interesting uh, to watch and, and, and I can't wait to, to see it all uh, unfold. So, I mean, you, you touched upon uh, Eric Weddle, Clay Matthews, um, coming in and being part of the the team, you also got Blake Bortles, uh, a the quarterback from Jacksonville that was hated, beloved, and then hated like they couldn't wait to get him <laughs> out of town. And now he comes uh, to to Jacksonville, goes on the opposite end of the country. This guy was a Florida boy pretty much his entire life. Now he's on the other coast. He's with the Rams. He's behind Jared Goff. There's no pressure. All he has to do is sit back and learn and get ready just in case. And, you know, what's the what's the early word on Blake Bortles so far, if there is much of one? Yeah, not much of a word yet, but I will say this. I absolutely love Blake Bortles uh, for the the character that he is, the personality that he brings to this team. And I saw an interview with him the other day where he was talking about he bought a Tesla when he moved to L.A. in hopes that he would stop chewing tobacco, that he wouldn't have to go to the gas station anymore and get chewing tobacco because this Tesla would, would never have to fill it with gas. And they're like, did it work? He's like, well, no, now I just drive my Tesla to the gas station and get a can of dip. Like he's just and he's and that's the type of dude he is. He's just kind of like he's like a cooler version of a Jay Cutler, okay. which, by the way, I've kind of watched. Uh, my girlfriend's got me in this keeping up with the Cavaliers or whatever oh, it is. You, and Jay Cutler poor is bastard. I know. I know. But the thing is, I've actually now I I've liked Jay. I now I understand him more. I'm like, I get him now. Like on the field, you just. <laughs> You, you always felt like, oh, this little prick, Jay Cutler, what's he doing? And yeah. but now you understand, like that's just that's just who he is, and yeah. you're gonna have to accept, you know. And um, but no, so I that's kind of the Blake Bortles is is he's just has this really fun vibe about him, and and I think he adds to our quarterback room. And we had Sean Mannion there last year, who 
I mean, if Jared Goff goes down, we're in a big, big hurl of trouble because I mean, Sean Mannion looked terrible in the preseason, but he's just really a bland personality. I think I think adding him in is going to really kind of loosen up Jared Goff a little bit more if he's not already. But uh, and like you said, no pressure. Got a quarterback back there. He can develop with McVay and and hopefully his plan is to then re-release himself in a year and see if he can get out there and do some things. But we'll see quite a bit of him because. You know, Sean McVay, notoriously known for not playing his starters in the preseason. So we'll get four games of Blake Bortles and, you know, maybe he lights it up and gets people excited and, you know, can potentially, you know, sit back there and learn. And if Jared Goff goes down, I finally feel comfortable with who we got back there uh, as a quarterback. McVay was just talking about him yesterday about how, you know, people don't give him enough credit for his football IQ and kind of a a football junkie to the game and how much he loves the game and how much he can see things on the field and talk about them uh, both with Jared and Sean McVay. So I'm excited about him. Obviously we don't expect him to really hopefully ever have to contribute other than the preseason and maybe in, you know, week 16 and 17 when we're hopefully wrapping it up and, and protecting some players there. But uh, I do like what he brings to the room. He's a fun personality. Uh, he's got some experience. He's a starter in this league. You mentioned he was, uh, you know, hated, he was the goat and then he was hated again. And right. so to kind of be able to, you know, share some of that wisdom with Jared Goff, if things start going wrong and Hey man, this is going to happen in your career and you, know, you got to ignore all this and that. So I, I like the veteran leadership and I think it's a perfect fit. Another one year guy, one year deal guy that's coming in and, um, you know, again, shouldn't have to contribute much, but I think adding to this 53 man roster really is going to bring something. Yeah, and, and one of the pitfalls of success, especially in the NFL, is that uh, other teams start picking apart uh, at your guys. And um, you, you lost uh, Mark Barron, uh, and Dominican Sue left, C.J. Anderson's in Detroit now, uh, Roger Saffold went off to Tennessee, not to mention, and the joke was, uh, anyone who's shared a cup of coffee with Sean McVay got a head coaching job this year. Um, you know, what effects has that had on the team and and what holes did uh, did you guys have to fill or or what's not as strong now than it was a year ago because of the rest of the NFL wanting to get a piece of your success? Yeah, I think that's got to be like on the cover of my resume is once shared an Uber with Sean McVay or, you know, <laughs> something of that nature and, and just try to get a job out of that because you're right, man. He's really I mean, to see a guy that's been a year uh, you know, going into his third year and he's got, you know, a coaching tree already. It's yeah. like, what? You know, it's crazy. He's got two head coaches out there already. Um, people are taking offensive coordinator jobs left and right. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely uh, something special. And you talk about the pieces that left and, and it is it's one of those things when you get up to the top, people start plucking your guys, as you mentioned. But looking at that, some of those names that you mentioned, Mark Barron, was probably overpaid and was a was more of a cap casualty for us that we just couldn't do it anymore. Um, you know, had some productions, probably his best games coming near the end of the season, but uh, wasn't the best of tacklers, wasn't the best in coverage, and was getting paid a lot of money. So I, I think we're fine there with him. Sue, one year fill in, another guy that didn't really play until the playoffs. Started calling him Playoff Sue, which is never a good nickname right. uh, if you're nothing the first 10 games. And he wasn't nothing. He definitely helped up 
you know, stuff up the middle, but we gave up five yards per carry uh, on the ground. And Aaron Donald had 20 sacks. He had four. Uh, you hope that if a guy like Aaron Donald's next to you, that you'd fall into a few more sacks than sure, four yeah. sacks. But um, so he didn't really live up to his $14 million. So, you know, best of luck uh, down there in Tampa Bay. But I think we're better for not having him on the roster. The one guy we're going to miss is Saffold. Uh, he was, you know, basically next to Whitworth. That left side of our line was so consistent, so reliable, uh, veteran to the team, the longest tenured Ram up to that point, and now it's Johnny Hecker. And But he, he was a guy that we were just hoping there was a way, but the Rams just, they, they overspent with the Todd Gurley extension, the Brandon Cooks extension, uh, and obviously Aaron Donald extension leading into last year. Plus, uh, next year they're going to have some more money. They're going to have a bunch of money coming up, but they've got – Jared Goff. They've got Marcus Peters that they may extend. Uh, what to do with Talib? So they've got some other people to pay. Uh, it just wasn't in the cards. They, you know, Austin Blythe played out of his mind and played himself into a starting position. We drafted a couple guys, Note Boom, uh, last year that they are really high on. So they're kind of expecting him to be kind of a plug and play guy there. So they felt comfortable with where we were going in that direction we drafted a couple more guys this year in the later rounds for kind of almost a safety net i feel like what they did with note boom last year get them some experience there's some injuries move it up but that's what scares me if there's some injuries on that o-line it's a lot of young guys obviously another guy sullivan we is our center is no longer there uh we got rid of him so we've got brian allen second year guy same thing sat behind them uh so a couple young guys if if uh injuries happen or they don't play up to expectation. Uh, that's what this Rams team was built on: was that eleven personnel, keep everyone tight, run the ball, work play action, but be able to run out of that formation and throw out of that formation. And if we can't run the ball, especially with a potential Todd Gurley knee issue, uh, we traded up in the third round to get a running back who we're all really excited about. Who is, you know, in my eyes, more of just adding another weapon in to, for Sean McVay to have, but. Uh, if he has to be, for some reason, more of a full-time back, uh, this thing could go sideways starting from that O-line. But of the people that left, other than Saffold, I think um, you know we feel okay with everyone that kind of went. Obviously, you have a roster, and you go to the Super Bowl, and you want to bring as many guys back as possible. Um, but when you're paying a, a, you know, guys like Aaron Donald so much money, it's tough to keep a lot of those guys that were on one-year deals. And you got to pick and choose. They picked Fowler, the younger version outside rush instead of going with Sue older on the inside. Um, and I, I agree with that. So everything that they've done, and that's one of the things in this organization is you listen to the Rams nation out here and every move, you know, people are debating and, oh, we need Sue back or how can we win games without Saffold? Trust the process, man. Less need. And Sean McVay, they've drafted amazing over the last couple of years. I mean, you know, grabbing guys like John Johnson uh, in the third round, Cooper Cup in the third round, uh, you know, I'm just really excited about what they've done in that process. And you kind of just have to trust those guys and what they're doing and working the money and, and giving it to the people that they really want around a long time, a.k.a. Aaron Donald and probably saving money for Jared Goff. But um, I think we're in the good, but it is tough to see some of those guys walk. Saffold's probably going to be the toughest. Yeah, like I said, it's it's one of those things that comes with success is that everybody wants to get you know, any piece of it that they can, whether it be your coaching staff, uh, some of your, your, your key players, um, you know. But as you said, you know, the, the front office, Les Snead, uh, Sean McVay have, have done their work in the offseason 
and in the draft, much like, you know, again, another parallel, Ryan Pace with his drafting, Adrian Amos that just got big money to sign with the uh, Packers was a fifth-round pick for us. Bryce Callahan, who was our nickelback, he got hurt in the game against you guys, uh, actually. He signed a big-money deal with Denver. He was an undrafted free agent. That's your GM and his scouting department getting the job done uh, there. So if you're finding guys in the third round, um, like actually I think your trade in the third round sparked our trade in the third round. You guys traded up to get Daryl Henderson, the running back out of Memphis. Three picks later, we trade up to get David Montgomery out of Iowa State to make sure that we got our guy (laughs) before there was a, you know, like you guys started the run on running backs because there was another back taken just after Montgomery at 74. The Buffalo Bills selected somebody uh, right after we did at 73. So your trade, like, oh, oh here we go. It's, it's, the running backs are going to start going now uh, and everything like that. You know, and, as you touch on, go ahead. and as you touch on the draft, I uh, want to talk about it really briefly. But, you know, talking about how they gathered that, Les need his whole game plan – you know, coming in, I think he had six picks. Uh, he had one first rounder. We didn't have a second. We didn't pick again till the third. His goal was how many picks can I get inside the top 100? Um, and he was able to parlay that into four picks. Yeah. Moved up, got the guy. You talked about starting that run. I think that's why we moved back, moved back, moved back. And they finally came up and aggressive. And people were like, why are they moving up to get, you know, this running back? And, you know, what's going on with Todd Gurley? And it was like, well, that was the play. When you know who is, you know, who's drafting around you, what what people are looking at, what they're looking for, and when they're going to start to fall, they finally, you know, very passive and moving back and finally went up and got the guy, which we're really excited about, you know, looking and talking a lot of draft people was high on the draft board as far as running back goes. So uh, it, it is fun to watch. I mean, it, the draft, they've made such a spectacle out of it now, and it's really fun to watch day one, day two. But for a Rams fan, they're pretty boring because every time they get up on the clock, they're trading back. They're trading back. And you're like, oh, man, like, can we, can we participate in this draft? Uh, but at the end of the day, we're really excited about the guys that they got. Taylor Rapp, another guy that, you know, fell and fell and fell. The Rams got them with, you know, their first pick in the second round. And, you know, we're ecstatic to get him. And uh, David Long, another guy, you know, cornerback out of Michigan, another guy that I think I, I, I saw a stat that said he only gave up 18 completions his whole college career at Michigan. 18. That's it. This guy was a monster. People stopped throwing his way. So um, really excited even about this draft class and what they did. Not so many impact players this year because they're going to sit behind Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, Eric Weddle, John Johnson in that secondary. But guys that, you you know, in certain packages can contribute. And also it makes you feel better if Tlaib retires or they decide to pass on a long term for Marcus Peters that you got a guy like David Long uh, that can step in and a guy that they really think can, you know, kind of be the next level of this these guys moving forward so uh you mentioned the draft there and it kind of got me all excited again because not the most exciting draft but yeah. uh, when you look at it as a whole they did a great job and and same with pace over there with the bears being able to put together uh obviously you know you guys move on howard and you know get some picks there and then really create some players you can be excited about yeah i mean and it's it was very exciting uh and, and like you said kind of a boring draft as much fun as the draft has become as a televised event and just like you said an absolute spectacle you know as a kiss fan it looked like kiss put on the draft you got light screens (laughs) you got laser shows you got televisions and you know all that kind of stuff everything was just this overblown production 
uh, you know, thing. It's just like the draft may not be fun to watch, but it sure as hell is fun to look at, at least. Jesus yeah, Christ. Right, yeah. Look at this stage that they put together, and they got yeah, half Tennessee, a million people. Yeah, half yeah, a million people Tennessee in the streets. Showed up. Yeah, it was awesome. And I can't wait to see what it's going to be like in Vegas next year. I can't even imagine the madness oh, that's man, going to I, ensue I, out I there. I think I'm going to have to – I might have to go out there. That's that's a three-hour drive, three-and-a-half-hour drive for me. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's worth going and checking out. I got My mom just moved out there, out in the suburbs out there, so I got a place to stay. And nice. if it's going to look like that – but who knows? I mean, again – uh, the Rams haven't picked in the first round since they picked Jared Goff. So day one's probably, you know, I'll be at the I'll be at the poker table throwing <laughs> down money because I know we ain't picking. Right. Well, you know, I, it's it's the other thing was my, my draft guy that I that I have uh, year in and year out. You know, he he's he's got a he's draftcountdown.com. This is a guy it's 365. He lives the draft. And on draft day, his Christmas day, if you will, it's Fortress of Solitude. It's him by himself watching the draft he's got his own boards that he's putting together when i asked him what his plans were for next year he's like yeah i might have to go out there i just it's it's in vegas it's the draft i mean yeah. it's you know i mean talk about christmas in april uh to be able you know for him especially so we'll we'll have to see that 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 whole vegas thing makes it a lot more interesting than, than people sure are does. giving it credit for it's like it's the nfl draft but yeah it's it's also vegas so you know what what kind of madness can we get ourselves into out there i'm also interested to see if any if those college kids can keep themselves out of trouble leading up to the draft yeah, that's it's gonna like, be that's agent babysitter yes uh, absolutely weekend. just lock them in the hotel room give them some room service and throw the key away don't let that guy go anywhere <laughs> his future begins tomorrow and he's not screwing it up so uh looking forward to the to the 2019 season what are some of the you know storylines that um that you know as you follow the team that you're kind of looking forward to like what questions are you looking to be answered in 2019 yeah i think uh we touched on it a little bit earlier but it's got to be what's this o-line look like you know week six where are they at as far as working together where are they at health wise um you know do we have the same type of push off the line is todd Gurley? you know, getting those yards that those big gaps that he got last year, that offense line was so important to us last year. And we've got two new guys at two big uh, key possession uh, positions at left guard and center right next to each other. You'd like to maybe space them out a little bit, but not going to happen. Uh, those guys are going to have to work together. That's going to be a big question mark. Cooper cup returning. Um, can he be the Cooper cup that we, you know, saw him starting to be last year where he was, you know, on pace for 80 catches and close to a thousand yards. Uh, you know, he all signs are pointing that he's recovered amazing so far. He's out of OTAs, running around. People are really excited. They have to almost slow him down in typical, you know, uh, prime elite fashion. Yeah. Always wanting to do more. Uh, but how those three, you know, Cooks, Woods, and Cup, how they come back together. They were a three-headed monster at the wide receiver position. Uh, and then Todd Gurley, obviously, big question. What's going on with the knee? Are can he do 15 carries a game? Is that okay? Is are we are we looking at less? Is he going to start the season? Is he going to be? Are they going to come out and tell us something when it gets closer? Uh, they've been very vague. They just keep saying we like the progress and we're really excited about what Todd Gurley's up to so far. It's like the very cliche answer right now. So yeah. um, big question marks around him and what he can be. You know, he was close to an MVP candidate last year as you could get. 
uh, before he kind of faded at the end of the year. So if we can get anything up to that would be awesome. Uh, what's, you know, Daryl Henderson going to be like as far as putting him in the mix, giving another weapon to McVay. He's great at receiving the football, you know, put him in the slot. You know, the Rams were big on that jet sweep last year, even if they don't give it to him, having another guy to fake it to. Uh, and then on the offense, I think the last question for us is really the, the tight ends, you know, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, um, McVay was a tight ends coach. He, he did wonders in Washington with the tight ends there. Uh, we just haven't seen it yet here in LA. Obviously we've got weapons all over, so maybe I'm just being greedy at this point, but I'd love to see him work the tight ends a little bit more and, and figure that out because Tyler Higby with Jared Goff, they're going to be approaching uh, the end of their rookie contract. So, you know, is this a guy that we say goodbye to after this year? Or is this a guy that, you know, it, it's interesting. We've got three guys from undrafted free agents that are tight ends in camp right now. So obviously it's a position that they're trying to figure out what they're doing with as well. And then on the defense side of the ball, a lot of rookie guys, a lot of young guys, shall I say, stepping up. Um, Ibukum got a lot of playing time last year, but Sebastian Joseph Day uh, is going to be big for us this year. John Franklin Meyer on the edge. Uh, we're expecting a lot out of him. Obo Okoronkwo, he was injured all last year. Guy out of Oklahoma that fell in the draft. He was kind of projected around a third round guy. Fell to the fifth due to a foot injury. Uh, we sat him all last year, but the guy is a stud as far as getting to the quarterback and just a tackle machine. So finally you get to see him. Dante Fowler, is he legit or not? We gave him a one-year deal, uh, high expectations for him. And then our secondary, you know, uh, Tlaib and Peters playing together for a full season. We, we you know, uh, Tlaib was injured for about eight games last year. So, uh, you know, really trying to see what those guys can do together and how does Eric Weddle fit into the mix. So the weird thing is there's tons of questions. And I didn't even mention yeah. Micah Kaiser, who's, who's our – you know, getting bumped into a starting linebacker who played maybe all of six snaps last year at linebacker, <laughs> and now he's going to be in a starting position. So uh, lots of question marks on the defense. Does Clay Matthews still got it? You know, those type of things. So, um, you know, the good thing is, you know, you look at Jared Goff, we feel very comfortable with. Sean McVay, feel extremely comfortable with. Uh, the wide receivers, you feel good. Uh, so the offense, you feel like somehow we'll still be able to keep it moving forward. Aaron Donald on the other side, that's all you need to say, right? The right. guy is a monster. If you got Aaron Donald on the field, your defense should be doing okay. Um, so as good as we feel and the expectations I talked earlier about, you know, going back to, you know, winning hopefully our third NFC West in a row, uh, there's a lot of questions here on young guys. And we talked about drafting late in the round and feeling confident in our GMs and, and finding those decisions is – now it, they got to go out there and play and prove us to sound like smart guys or it's going to come back and go, oh, crap, we should have kept a couple of those veteran guys that we said were too expensive. Yeah, it's um, it's those are good problems to have. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, when you when you have an Aaron Donald who is worth every single penny that that he's costing you, uh, just like we have Khalil Mack, if 52 is on the field, we feel good about what's happening. Uh, yep. out there if uh, you know if 99 is out there then you guys are in pretty good shape no matter who the other 10 guys might happen to might happen to be not not only because he's that good but he be because he makes the other 10 guys want to be as good as him you know it's just something about adding Khalil Mack to our defense last year that elevated what was already a pretty good defense to begin with he comes along has that bananas game against Green Bay week one literally off the street and after that, we were off to the races. 
Uh, that was with so cool. the, with it was it really was I really just wish we could have won that game but yeah you know it went down the way it did it turned out to be a blessing in disguise so we'll take it for what it was but you know it, it um you know it, it's re- another one of the parallels between the Bears and the Rams we have that special guy on the defensive side that seems to elevate everyone around him no matter who it is worth every penny that we're playing with that's the number one and number two richest guy defensive player in the league. Uh, right now and I don't know anyone else in the league who's worthy of the money that those guys are demanding at this point and you know they're but they're worth it for what they do on the field and what they what they get out of everyone else uh, around them so like I said those are good problems to have trying to figure out how you're going to afford your team and keep that guy as well because you have to keep that guy right yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and those guys became, you know, one in two richest guys almost within a week, within yeah. days. Within days. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. yeah, like Donald signed like on Thursday and we got Khalil Mack on Saturday and signed him like the day after that. So, you know, the yeah. Rams were like, thank God we got this done before <laughs> they did, because we would end up paying, you know, that, you know, that deal would have, you know, been stretched out another couple of days to be like, I want to be, I don't, I don't think Aaron Donald was really that greedy when it came to it, but his agent might've been. Yeah. Right, right. Well, Brad, uh, you know, this has been fun. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, we were able to get you on and to talk about the the Rams. It's it's one of those teams that I am looking forward to seeing how they can do uh, uh, this season. Uh, we talked last year about how there's kind of this, this renaissance with young quarterbacks and the teams that are being built around them, and we saw a lot of success out of those teams in 2018, the Bears, the Rams, the Texans, the Chiefs, and then out of nowhere, uh, you know, the Browns, uh, you know, with uh, with um, Mayfield, Baker. May, I couldn't think of his first name. Mayfield and him coming along. And Josh Allen actually had a pretty decent season for Buffalo. It's like the young guard is, is, is emerging, and our teams represent a couple of those young guys, and I'm excited to see where these teams are going this year. Yeah, same here. I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to chatting with you again around week 11 and, and you know, talking some smack. And hopefully we've got a couple really uh, good teams to set up that, you know, week 11 matchup out here in L.A. And if you make it out here, let me know. We'll grab a beer and uh, we'll talk some crap in person because I think that's going to be a great matchup. And that could be, you know, like you, you mentioned, is the pathway to the NFC uh, comes between one of those two teams. Obviously, the Saints are still in the mix there, but uh, those that's the, the cream of the crop right there. Should be a fun matchup. Yeah, looking forward to it. Brad, thanks so much. Where can we, uh, where can we find you? Where can we find the show and uh, everything that you do? Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter, LA underscore Rambling Bear. Also, Locked On Rams. Locked On Rams is a daily show covering the Los Angeles Rams uh, on the Locked On Podcast Network. So check that out. Uh, we do it Monday through Friday. And I know you guys are Bears fans, but if you ever want to see what's going on, a peek across the country, come and check me out uh, over at Locked On Rams. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm uh, <laughs> you're, you're a Chicago guy, man. I still can't wrap my head around what happened there. But, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take it for what it is. And uh, I know that when you're not rooting for L.A., you're rooting for the Bears. I'm hoping to see success out of the Rams, so we'll just agree to part ways on that. How does that sound? There you go. I'm still a Cubs fan. I still got that. Hey, there that. you go. There you go. Yeah. That will be our, can, our unifying still thing. still bond. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on with their bullpen these days, but what are you going to do? So. Yeah, me neither. I just I just had a birthday. I was actually just in Chicago, went to Wrigley Field, and, and got a, a brand-new Baez jersey, and 
Uh, we sat. There was that 15 inning game in the rain earlier oh, wow. in the. Er, that was that was my birthday, and we sat there and uh, about uh, right after the ninth inning, everyone looked frozen. I was like, "You guys want to stay for one more inning?" My dad's like, "We're going home," and we drove <laughs> an hour and a half back to the suburbs, and the game was still on, so uh, we didn't miss much. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was fun. I, I missed the city of Chicago, so go Cubs. We'll, go we'll, Cubs. We'll settle there. All right, that's good. Brad Mater, Brad Motter, excuse me, Motter, <laughs> Brad Motter. Thanks so much uh, for uh, for coming back on, man. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Take it easy. Brad Motter from Locked On Rams and the Locked On Podcast. Network uh, had a great time talking to him. Uh, great time talking to Ross Jackson and him. Brad hooked me up with uh, with Ross, and uh, you know it, it's uh, it's like I said um, when, when speaking to Ross the other day. Uh, one of the great things about doing this podcast is is networking with the other people, and even though you might not share allegiances, and I know I talk about this a lot, but it really is one of my favorite things about doing a podcast and being part of the podcast community is 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 finding these other people. The, uh, like-minded individuals, uh, if you will. So in this uh, in this society where everything is about division and picking a side and and all that kind of stuff, it's nice to know that even though I I disagree with uh, who I'm rooting for with these guys, that uh, we find the common ground that uh, the love that we have for our teams is enough for us to respect and enjoy uh, each other's company. So uh, thanks to uh, Ross and. Brad, uh, now that we're done with our same place opponents, we'll be moving on to the AFC West. And uh, his, he told me his name is your boy Q. Your boy Q from Locked On Raiders will be joining us uh, this week to, uh, to preview the 2019 Raiders. And I'm sure that we might talk about the Khalil Mack trade and, and what, what, what it was like on the other side from the Raiders perspective uh was he going I mean was he shaking his head as much as we were with the whole John Gruden thing talking about finding pass rushers is tough after you traded arguably one of the best pass rushers in the league away and you had one you just decided to get rid of him and uh how he feels about the trade his thoughts on on whether or not that that one article about the analytics saying that the Raiders have already won the trade um, and how he feels about that and, and so much more. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting, interesting conversation talking about the Raiders and, and, and how he feels about the future. Is he optimistic? Is he guardedly optimistic? Uh, and so on. So look out for me and your boy Q from Locked On Raiders to talk about the Raiders, and I think I'll be dropping that one on Wednesday, Thursday at the latest. So just keep your eye on the Twitter feed, at BTU underscore Larry, and the Facebook page, uh, just search Bears Talk Underground and you will find us. So real quick, got one news and note thing, and then we'll we'll move on to the, I'm sure, what will be the most talked about thing on this episode is my top five TV shows list. So uh, hopefully you're still with us. Uh, before we get to that, the, the quick news and notes thing was the over the weekend, there was a, a possible leak of the Bears' new throwback uniform. Uh, they're going to be formally announcing it on Friday, I believe, June 7th, uh, to kick off the 100th anniversary uh, celebration weekend that's taking place this weekend in Chicago. Unfortunately, I will not 
uh, be in town or be attending the uh, event. But if you're going, enjoy. Uh, take lots of pictures. Post them. Post them on the uh, Bears Talk Underground page. I'd love to see them. So uh, feel free to do that. Um, but it was a possible leak, and I think it was somebody taking pictures of a shipment that was uh, at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, I think somewhere in, in suburban Chicago. And it was a Khalil Mack jersey. It was a white, so a way jersey. And it had the uh, it had blue and orange uh, stripes over the shoulder. It was modeled after the 1936 uniform. And uh, I thought it looked really cool, actually. I, I, it was uh, just plain uh, navy blue, like varsity numbers, like the blocky style uh, numbers that you see. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure those would be like dark, bot- dark blue bottoms and, and things like that. Uh, the picture that I saw of the player in 1936, he had uh, um, horizontal striped socks. Not vertical that go up and down, but horizontal that go side to side. We'll see how that uh, turns out, if the socks will be a thing. But uh, we get to find out Friday for sure if this was confirmation of the leak. Did somebody get ahead of themselves? Maybe they shipped the jerseys too early or Dick Sporting Goods just has untrustworthy employees. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But um, the uh, the pictures are all over Twitter. I'm sure you can find them somewhere. Or if you want to get a taste of it, if you search the history on the Bears Talk Underground page uh, i believe there is a picture of the player from back then uh, i think somebody posted like wouldn't it be cool if the old throwback uniforms look like this and it looks like that's what they went ahead and uh and went with or at least that's the model that's uh closest to what we saw in the uh in the leak so we'll find out for sure on friday the 7th uh what the new throwback uniform is i think the bears are only going to wear it once this year probably at a home game but uh we'll have to wait and see on that so now, we're going to take a stab at this off-the-subject thing, see how you guys uh, like it. Uh, someone had the suggestion that I do uh, top five uh, TV shows uh, of all time or like a favorite TV show time of all time uh, list. The other day when I was asking for off-the-subject ideas, and uh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick to see if I can give credit where credit is due on the TV show idea. Paul Rogers, best TV series ever. Um, He says The Sopranos is his number one, The Wired or Game of Thrones, or maybe one you like more. So Paul Rogers, thank you for the idea. If you have ideas, feel free to throw them at me. We have uh, got a few others. My dad wants me to talk about first-time hunting stories. We'll see. We'll see about that. And my good friend Eric McCubbin, Wants me to talk about stories from when we used to work together at the old Jumers Casino. Uh, I don't know if you guys will enjoy those stories because you won't know a single person in them. So we'll uh, we'll 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 think about that. But uh, nonetheless, top five TV shows. I narrowed it down of all time according to yours truly, Larry D. And uh, <laughs> you guys are gonna love number five. Are you sitting down? I hope you're sitting down. If you're not sitting or standing, or if you are standing, please sit down. Number five all time. On the list, <laughs> Dawson's Creek. That's right, Dawson's Creek, the show from the WB. Back in the day, Dawson's Creek. Let me explain, okay? Please stop screaming. It's all right. I'm still okay. I'm here. It's okay. I survived. Here's what happened. Years ago, during the summer, when they, when, before they started doing like summer TV schedules and things like that, the summer was filled with reruns, so no one was really watching TV. Well, one day I walk into my sister's bedroom. She is watching something on television. I walk in and ask her what she's watching. 
She says Dawson's Creek. Now, I had never seen it before. I had only heard about the show, and I had already you know, heard it was one of these te- teeny bopper shows and blah, 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 and all the rest of that stuff. So I'm like, oh, geez. But I'm bored, so I sit down. I got nothing else to do. And I start watching. And then Katie Holmes comes on. Oh, she's cute. Who's that? And so she tells me. And then Michelle Williams comes on. Oh, another cutie. Who's this? And she tells me. This goes on for weeks. And (laughs) so it went on from the point where I was like, what is this garbage? To like by the end of the summer when they're wrapping up like season or replaying season two or whatever it was, it goes from this is the most ridiculous garbage what teenagers on the planet talk like this to at the end of the summer? I'm like, (laughs) why can't Dawson and Joey just work it out? And you know, that was, I was stuck with it after that. I watched all of the episodes and, and here's the criteria for making the list. Quite frankly, even though this was on at a, at a time before DVRs and, and all that kind of stuff. So if you didn't watch it it, when it was on, you probably missed it. You know, you could record it and you, you could program your VCR to record it for those of you who don't, who still remember that technology, but I'm, I'm the shows that are on this list are appointment television where you build your life around when this particular TV show was on. Now, again, this was on from like 98 to 03. So that was necessary. If you didn't see it when it aired, you missed it. So, th- but that was one of those shows. There were other stuff. Maybe I could record this. Like I recorded friends or uh, stuff like that. This I never missed. I was scheduled like, hey, we, we're doing something at, uh, you know, Wednesday at eight o'clock. Like, yeah, that's not going to work for me, bro. I got to be I got to be at home at eight because that's when Dawson's Creek comes on. And, and people would stare at me in the face. And I'm like, what? What I say? So anyway, Dawson's Creek, <laughs> number five. Trust me, the list gets better from here. I promise it gets better from here. Number four, Sons of Anarchy. Talk about another show. Uh, I was late to the party on Sons of Anarchy, uh, actually. It, um, it didn't really grab me right away because like, uh, it, it was replacing the shield uh, from FX. And I would see the, the ads for it and you know, the promos, the, pre- you know, the previews and stuff like that. I didn't really get it. I didn't really you know, dig it or, or whatever the case was. But, um, you know, and I didn't watch it for like the first five seasons. And then, but it's like, no matter, without fail, my dad, every year, a couple times a year, would ask me if I was watching Sons of Anarchy. You ever watch Sons of Anarchy? You should check it out. You should really should watch. You should watch it. Just check it out. And then it started showing up on Netflix, and I was unemployed for a stretch, so I had nothing else to do. So I sat down, and I started binging the show, and I was absolutely hooked uh, on it. And I finally got caught up midway through season seven. So... I got through the the seventh and final season. I I was able to watch week to week with everyone else. But, you know, from start to finish, that is one of my favorite shows uh, of all time. Like I said, late to the party, but I'm glad I finally joined. It is definitely one of the best shows uh, I've ever seen. Number three, we just mentioned a second ago, The Shield. I mean, talk about a show that kind of broke the mold or at least stepped outside uh, the, you know, that definitely colored outside the lines. It was one of the very first shows that featured uh, cursing uh, on, on television, even though it was airing in those hours where it's OK. You know, I mean, it was only like a shit here and a bitch and, you know, that like that. But you didn't hear like the level and ease that they had it on regular television. So it was basic cable. It's on later uh, and so on. But talk about a cutting edge show 
with a character in Vic Mackey, the, the lead character, uh, you know, a dirty cop, but a cop nonetheless. So, you know, he, he's playing both sides, constantly conflicted, doing the right thing. And then it all starts to fall apart. And um, definitely one of the one of my favorite series of all time. If I could ever find it on Blu-ray, I would own it like the series just so I could have them. It was, you know, and the pilot episode, one of the most shocking endings to a pilot episode I have ever seen. If you haven't seen it, check it out wherever you can. Uh, The Shield was on uh, FX. Number two, Game of Thrones. Uh, This is another show that I was late to the party, not as late as I was to Sons of Anarchy, where I started binging just before the final season uh, started airing. But uh, I, you know, <laughs> happened to start binging on that the same time that uh, I was unemployed and binging Sons of Anarchy, uh, of all things. Uh, Game of Thrones is kind of my palate cleanser uh, from Sons of Anarchy. Um, I started, I think I had to binge the first four seasons of uh, Game of Thrones to get caught up. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, like, it's set in medieval times you have magic but you don't it's it's kind of like basically it, it, it's almost it done in a way where you believe something like this could happen like this world could exist everything in the in the series isn't so fantastic that it's not uh believable and things like that but this the stories uh the wars the battles especially when the show got popular and hbo started spending more money uh on the episodes like season two season three then the quality of the show really picked up. And obviously, nobody was really happy with how the eighth and final season went. But overall, it's one of the best television shows of all time and cracks the, this list at number two. Now, about number two through five and the handful of honorable mentions that I'm about to give you here. Catch me on a different day. The wind blows in a different direction. And these shows can be shuffled around even some of the honorable mentions might make the top five uh if you catch me on a different day but um number one will always be the same and i'll get to that in just a second the honorable mentions on the list the sopranos the reason that this makes the honorable mention list and doesn't crack the top five is because i haven't seen the entire series i know how it ends i've seen a bunch of episodes in between but this show was on the air at a time that a lot of the time I didn't have cable, so there was no way for me to watch it. It was before streaming, so I couldn't, you know, like when I, I was unemployed when I was watching Game of Thrones, but I had my dad's HBO Go password, so that's how I was pulling that off. And, you know, I've there are a lot of episodes in The Sopranos that I probably haven't seen. I caught most of the last season, but not all of it, that kind of thing. If I happened to be at my dad's house when The Sopranos was on, then I was watching it, and I, for the most part, understood what was going on. But I think there's like an entire season that I never saw. But everything that I did see, I loved, and that's why it cracks the honorable mention list. I'm sure if I watched it from start to finish one day, which is something I still might do, uh, it would probably crack the list. Uh, another show on the list from back in the day, Quantum Leap. That was one of my absolute favorite shows uh, when I was a kid. I was absolutely heartbroken when they decided they weren't going to make any more of those uh law and order it was on the air for 20 years i think i got in about season nine or so and never missed it uh after that until it finally uh died a death of several years ago now lost i don't know why everyone hated the finale of lost i loved it it was a great show not strong enough to crack my top five 
but uh, one of my favorite shows of all time. Star Trek, The Next Generation. Not a Star Trek guy, not even that really big on sci-fi, but there was just something about Star Trek, The Next Generation. I never missed an episode once I finally uh, discovered it. Uh, another show on the honorable mentions, a current show, Billions on Showtime. Amazing show. Love that one. Uh, Grey's Anatomy on ABC. And Scandal, another one of the TGIT uh, shows. I mean, Grey's Anatomy, that's just a solid uh, solid show. So, And those are all my honorable mentions. That's two through five. The number one show of all time, according to Larry D and no one else, 24. The absolute greatest television show in the history uh, of TV. Um, season one, just at a nonstop. Well, actually, all the seasons were a nonstop roller coaster. That was kind of like the idea. It was such an innovative idea at the time. And what was so crazy about the show was that it 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 did a lot of things that had never been done before when season one came out in two thousand and one. The first thing was it was going to be a show that was sh- that was shown in real time. That's the concept of the show. It's a 24-hour day, one hour at a time in real time. And so that was something that I hadn't been uh, done before. The other thing, which has had an effect on, on television going forward, was the person starring in it. Kiefer Sutherland, who was known mainly as a uh, movie star at the time. And it used to be that when a movie star went to to star in a television series, that their career was suffering in some way or another, that they had failed somewhere. Maybe they had too many box office failures. So in order to keep a paycheck coming in and a roof over their kid's head, they started doing TV series and things like that. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland just fell in love with the project. He did the pilot and was kind of hoping that it wouldn't get picked up and that it did. So he was in for the first season. It becomes a smash hit. And in my opinion, one of the greatest shows of all time, the best season of the series, season number five was actually one, I think won the golden globe or the Emmy, or actually I think it won everything for best drama series for 2005, I believe is when it aired. Something like that. Season five, easily the best season. Uh, for hardcore 24 fans will agree with me when I say the odd-numbered seasons were the best ones. Season one, uh, the, 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 the day that we follow the Democratic presidential primary in California. Season three with the virus and the uh, uh, just, oh, God, such a great season. Season five, trying to solve the assassination of a main character i don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen uh season seven was there was the first season back after almost two years because of the writers strike so that show kind of suffered and had like almost a two-year two full year gap between the last season ending and season seven premiering and then season nine was the half season that they did about five years ago where they did 12 episodes and uh, just amazing. So they did nine seasons altogether. I actually never watched the 24 Legacy show because Kiefer Sutherland wasn't in it. They didn't have any of the old uh, characters from it. So to me, it felt like a different series, and I never really got into it. But Kiefer Sutherland, Jack Bauer, one of the great TV characters of all time. And, um, you know, watch season one, and if you aren't absolutely hooked by the, the ending of the first season, has an ending that basically showed that this this show did not follow the rules. It did not follow the rules, much like The Shield on FX did not follow the rules 
uh, anything like that. 24 is the greatest show of all time. And I can just picture him right now that uh, that meme of that guy and, and the sign in front of him keeps changing. 24 is the greatest of all th- greatest TV show of all time. Um, prove me wrong, I guess, or something like that uh, would be me sitting in front of that, sitting behind that table with a coffee cup. Prove me wrong. Tell me 24 isn't the greatest show of all time. Some of you mentioned, uh, you know, like Paul Rogers mentioned The Wire. I have watched The Wire. It is easily the most overrated television show of all time. Um, And I think that the problem there being is, surprise, surprise, I was watching it during my little unemployment stretch, (laughs) and I had been hearing for years that this was the best television show HBO had ever made. This was one of the best television shows of all time. The characters, the stories, the drama, blah, 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 blah. So I gave it a chance, and I was expecting the greatest television show of all time, and that's not what I got. So um, there were a lot of really great characters uh, in the show, but I was mostly unimpressed. I watched every single episode. I think there were only like four seasons, maybe five or something like that. I watched every single one. I don't really care for it, to be honest with you. I was kind of hate watching it towards the end, just trying to get through it. Uh, I was not a fan of the show. I really wasn't. So I don't, uh, I completely disagree with anyone who puts the wire way up on their list. I think it's the most overrated show I have ever seen uh, in my life. So somebody might feel that way if they decide to jump into 24, especially since it's 2019. The first season came out in 2000 one and you know the technology then and all that kind of stuff so maybe it doesn't age uh that well to be completely honest but i was hooked you know it was it's every episode would end with some kind of cliffhanger to where you couldn't wait for next week's episode to come and they were just so brilliant at it uh and like i said the best seasons were the odd numbered seasons one three five seven and nine rank higher than two four and two four two four six and eight were good seasons it was quality television see Season six is probably the worst season out of all of them if you had to rank them. But as, as far as like exceptional, cannot wait for next week, oh my God, can you believe that? And all that kind of stuff. I got people hooked on 24. I was in from day one on that show. I decided to give it a, give it a shot just because of how unique it was. And like I said, Kiefer Sutherland being a movie star, doing a TV show, now everybody does it. Everybody does it. And I think what kind of really drove it home, I mean, it took a while, but when Kevin Spacey did um, when Kevin Spacey did House of Cards on Netflix, that's when the whole thing exploded. But when people saw the success that Kiefer Sutherland had with 24, you kind of started seeing it more. Like he laid, he was the seed, and it grew from there. And Kevin Spacey was the the... Was, you know broke the levy basically and everything come flooding out and now everyone does tv and movies and nobody thinks anything of it anymore it used to be that if a movie star was doing television that meant their career was failing or something like that now it's it's just the cost of doing business you see movie stars doing netflix uh shows you see movie stars doing shows on hbo and and, and showtime and are doing network shows those limited things like uh HBO has that series that have like six, uh, six Oscar nominees and or winners. Uh, little, little Big Lies. Um, Reese Witherspoon, Meryl Streep is on this season. Nicole Kidman and so on and so. Those are some heavy, heavy hitters doing a TV show. But it's nobody's talking about their careers failing. It's just them doing something different 
and you know exploring the 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 landscape if you will so 24 was kind of the show that laid the seed for something like that to be possible it took a while for that to take hold and for it to become normal but it was Kiefer Sutherland in 24 that uh, that made it a real thing so speaking of Kiefer Sutherland if you're looking for a good TV show uh, check out um, Designated Survivor Uh, he had two seasons on ABC and ABC canceled it and I actually just found out happily uh, a couple of weeks ago that Netflix picked it up and season three of Designated Survivor starts this Friday on June 7th. So I'll be damned. Uh, the, you know, we'll be able to see the show go forward uh, from there. Season three drops on Friday the 7th. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. So anyway, that was our little off the subject segment. What do you guys think? Did you enjoy it? Should I, uh, you know, do you, could, you, could you see yourselves listening to an episode of that, of that ilk? During the off season, when there's not a whole lot going on in late March, early April, or something like that, or or, or what have you, you know, let me know. I really, I really do want to hear your feedback on, on this one. So be sure to get back to me either on Facebook, on Twitter, however you want to get back to me. So I uh, really enjoy your feedback. So that is going to do it for the same place opponent episodes both of them we're done we're moving on to our division shows now the afc west is first and as i stated earlier your boy q from locked on raiders will be joining me uh to preview the uh i was gonna say la even though it's gonna be lv next year in the las vegas raiders but right now they're still the oakland raiders and he will be joining me and that episode will be dropping on wednesday thursday at the latest i'm trying to get these spread out because this is dropping on monday so trying to give them a couple of days to breathe before i hit you with another one so wednesday at the earliest maybe wednesday night or first thing thursday that kind of thing so be on the lookout for the on the back half of this week and then we'll do the raiders the chargers the chiefs then we're on the nfc east and then we're talking about the nfc north and by the time that we're done for this we should have about a two-week window between the last episode about our beloved chicago bears and training camp so this is the ride Follow me on the ride, and before you know it, we will reach our destination, which is the 2019 season. So come on back later on this week. Your boy Q and myself from Locked On Raiders talking about the Oakland Raiders, kicking off the AFC West preview. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.